Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is Gareth James. Gareth is the founder and head coach of the prestigious MTT Poker School, the co-host of the Mindset Poker podcast, Poker on the Mind, where he and past CBG guest Trisha Cardner who herself is a poker performance wizard and author who sports PhDs in both psychology and criminology, help you improve your mental game, and co-author along with the aforementioned Dr. Trisha Cardner of Purposeful Practice for Poker. Gareth graduated college with a degree in music and aspirations on becoming a behind-the-scenes player in the music industry. He settled into a gig teaching music to children, where he quickly learned his idea of helping kids learn to be more musical was very, very different from public educations. Stop me if you've heard this story before. Loads of talent, unhappy career, wants more autonomy in their professional life. Bingo, bango, bongo, a professional poker player is born. In today's episode, you're going to learn the exact moment Gareth knew he was going to become a professional poker player, the -the behind-the-scenes story of how Gareth landed the gig training Berkey for the massive 300k buy-in high roller bowl final table in 2016, the form of learning Gareth believes is rocket fuel to your poker game, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you poker coach, author, and podcaster, Gareth James. Gareth. Good morning, sir. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How is, uh, how's it going? It's going very well. I, I realize it's not morning for you, but you'll have to humor me because I, my brain is still 12% thawed um, <laughs> <laughs> being 10 a.m. for me. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been up a few hours, although I'm, I'm on to my second coffee of the day, but it's like a, a post-lunch coffee for me. Yeah, the, the, the post-lunch coffee. I'm on my first one. And it's post uh, pre everything coffee, yeah. <laughs> um, no breakfast, no nothing. Okay. Uh, um, so starting out this show, typically ask my guests to tell me their story. How'd you get in the world of poker? Uh, okay. Yeah. So I started off, uh, I just finished university. So I did a degree in music and uh, I was uh, living with a guy who uh, did the same thing and he was playing some online poker and I thought wow this looks this looks like fun why music all, well, why has, has music always been very important to you yeah since I was about 15 I uh, when I was 15 I went to a recording studio for the first time and fell in love with the the idea and the process of making music recording music uh, writing music and uh, yeah from the age of 15 till about 20 well probably much further on actually um I really had these aspirations to be a songwriter and producer and maybe a singer as well but I was more interested in like the behind the scenes like making music and producing and things like that um but it yeah so so things definitely changed why was it so interesting to you um I don't know like originally when I was about 11 my sister recommended that I should 
audition for like the, the not the school nativity but like the christmas show and i'd never sung before and i sang and i got the part and i, I sang and then ever since then i mean my sister was a big inspiration like in terms of music and i loved music growing up and um you know studied it throughout school and then into university and uh yeah it was just yeah really big thing which is interesting because my, my parents aren't musical at all it's just my sister and i who were very musical really into that and um that was a that was a big part of of things and i you know i actually from there studying music went into um being a music teacher for six years uh so yeah so it definitely continued but i think there's actually sadly the the music teaching that kind of uh all the passion for music just disappeared you know suddenly it wasn't about music it was about data and it was about you know getting kids a piece of paper at the end of it and it wasn't about you know making music and um seeing the sort of like the importance of music in in life and so not exactly fulfilled with your music teaching career exactly yeah you got it and now now we can tie back into poker like what was happening in your life when you stumbled across online poker yeah so i i was living with a guy um he and i just like um became like best mates at university and um once once we'd finished uh, i then worked at the at the university where where we were i just doing like a you know data entry when i was like data admin that kind of stuff whilst i was trying to decide like where i wanted to go next and he was he was playing online poker and uh i was like oh this looks like fun like and i'd always been like uh, trying to find this sort of like get rich quick scheme and i thought well poker this could be uh, this could be it um, and I, you know, deposit $10, lose $10 and and rinse and repeat. And I was playing, I was like, okay, let's play fixed limit. So we don't, we can limit our losses, you know? Um, so I play like, I don't even remember what it was, but two cent or $2 buy-in limit poker. And so I wasn't, you know, wasn't going to go broke. And then I stumbled across sit and goes and like, I would play like pay like a dollar to enter and then win, you know, $5. This was, you know, this was, this was incredible. And then I discovered MTTs and I thought, well, you can turn $1 into 200. And then, you know, um, there was one summer I played a $2 turbo and turned it into over 2000. And I thought, hang on a minute, this, uh, this, this, this is something that, that might be worth pursuing a bit more. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what I did. And then I, you know, started to play more and more MTTs. I, I built, you know, built up roles on different sites with sit and goes, you know, just playing really low stakes, $5, $10, $20 games. And then had a role for for MTTs, and then um, yeah, just had you know some reasonable reasonable scores, you know, um, within within MTTs, and you know, had had a bankroll, and um, yeah, but all all of this was going on whilst I was I then moved to London uh, and trained to be a teacher, and still had you know in the school holidays I would like play poker. But then during term time, it was quite difficult to do it. Like I definitely couldn't play on a Sunday night and then get up for work at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. and go and teach uh, for weeks. So, um, yeah, it was generally just in the holidays I was playing. And then, um, yeah, gradually I, I, I was playing more and more poker and at the same time as teaching. So, yeah, I mean, things things were, were interesting where, I, you know, would do a full teaching day, come home at six or seven o'clock, log straight into. I mean, I was playing on like absolute poker at the time. And uh, uh, yeah, would play. I mean, on the other sites as well, stars and full tilt, and would play until one, two a.m. Go to bed, get up the next day, go and do a full teaching day, and uh, realize that this uh, this is definitely not the kind of life that I, I really wanted. Um, yeah, the so, old uh, uh, 
the old serious poker network, absolute and ultimate bet that those exactly, were, yeah. those were interesting times back then. Um, yeah. while you were, while you were trying to juggle, you know, your career teaching and also your poker career, were you learning, were you studying out or were you seeking out information on studying and maximizing your poker ability at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot of books at that point, and it's, which is interesting because I'm I'm not convinced now that that's the best way to learn. Um, but yeah, I read a lot of books. Um, I signed up to some training sites. I was working on my game. Um, I met a few people on Twitter, and uh, we started to like you know form a study group, and we were working on it um, in that sense. Uh, but yeah, it originally started with just me working on my own, like, you know, reading books, like when it came to like sit and goes and MTTs, it used to just be, you know, you could read a book on sit and go, see what the sort of the key hands to, to push were at different stack sizes, what you would call what to do on the bubble. You know, I was using like sit and go wizard back in the day, uh, long before like HRC or ICMIs or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so I was definitely working on it. I wouldn't say it was anywhere near how much I work on it now. But it's uh, yeah. Back then, it was like yeah. This is this is what I need to do. And and the thing was that poker was a lot simpler and a lot easier then as well. So you almost didn't need to do as much work as you do now to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, the the, the average player was operating at a at a much lower level than yeah. they're operating now. Uh, let's diverge from the timeline a bit because you said something there about books and you don't think it's the best way to learn with what you know now so that begs the question what way do you think is the best way to learn now uh so it's the whole idea of like passive learning versus active learning uh, i think that you've got to take an active role in your own development your own learning and I think that it's too easy to like read a book and not make notes. It's too easy to watch a video and not make notes, just kind of you know, watch a video or watch a Twitch stream and not actually uh, sort of absorb the, the knowledge that's being shared. And I think that it's really important to actually, you know, uh, absorb it and then uh, and sort of use it in your own game. So, you know, if someone's looking at a concept that you're not that familiar with then you know taking it in and then thinking right okay how can i apply this to my own game or you know why is this important why you know how is this going to help my own game how's it going to help my coaching um yeah stuff like that what do you think about the note taking so is there a specific way you feel the listener ought to be taking notes while they're consuming this content i think it's important to sort of look at the key ideas what you know what is it that that's being taught and uh, so, you know, sometimes it's easy with a training video because the, literally the title of the video will be on, I don't know, out of position C betting or, you know, three bet jamming. But if it's like, a, you know, play and explain or, um, you know, just a hand history review, then it can be it can be more challenging to like really uh, home in on, on what it is that you're that's, that's being taught and also what you should learn. But I think that if uh, ever in those you know hand history reviews or the play and explains, if there's ever a time where um you know, you're, oh, wow, I didn't, I'd not really thought about this before. Something that's sort of like a light bulb moment, then you definitely want to be making notes about that. And then, you know, again, trying to apply it to your own game or discussing it with someone else, you know, taking it from just like consuming it and just, just watching it or listening to it or whatever, to suddenly, you know, writing it down, actioning it, talking to other people about it, you know, expanding on the ideas a bit more. Yeah. And plain explains as a content creator, 
I love making them because they're so easy to make because yeah. it's like you just fire up tables, start the recording software and you just narrate for 30 minutes or an hour. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? Yeah. But the problem is that in Plain Explains, oftentimes we have so many thoughts that we don't verbalize. And we have reasons for why we take very specific actions that the listener or watcher is not aware of. And then they try to take that away and apply it to their own game. And they splat on the pavement without really understanding the key concepts that were at play there if the person who made the video didn't verbalize them. And that's going to happen in every play and explain video that's ever created for all time. Just because there's so many variables, so many factors that go into each decision that's made at the poker table that we just, you can't accurately express all of them. And that's, uh, so for me as a creator, they're easy and I love making them, but I don't think as for a consumer, they're a great way to learn and improve your poker game. It's too much of a, a shotgun type approach when, you know, we ought to be using a sniper rifle to hone in on very specific areas where we learn the concepts, we get them down pat, and then we can apply them, you know, today and then moving forward into the future versus kind of just this monkey see, monkey do type approach of, oh, I saw somebody do this one time. So now I'm just going to start check raising my gut shots. Well, yeah, why did they check raise a gut shot? Right. Like who, who knows why? Right. Like, it, you know, misapplication is it's very dangerous and yeah. just something that, you know, the listener ought to be aware of. Absolutely. That, yeah. What I really liked when you uh, just talked about that was the, the key word, why? And that's something that I try to explain in a lot of the coaching that I do and, and the, and the content is, is try and explain the why. Now, sometimes it's not easy. Like the solver doesn't come with a, like the, the answer. And that's like, for me, that's the most exciting part of the job is that, you know, it's to try and work out the why and try to break it down so that other people can understand it. Because, um, yeah, that's sort of how I see my sort of role within the poker industry is being able to break down these, you know, perhaps complicated uh, concepts and ideas and topics and making them easier um, to, for, for, you know, more people to, to access. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes you can look at a solver and not really know what's going on. But, you know, the more you do, the, the better you get at sort of working out the why, you know, is it to do with blockers? Is it to do with how the equities, um, you know, how the two ranges interact and, and with different types of boards? What happens on different turns? You know, how do the equities shift and all of these kind of things that, you know, so I think that that's that that why is is so, so important. And um, yeah, and I think as soon as you get the why, then it starts to like be easier to try to uh, work other stuff out on the fly. And I think because the problem is I see a lot of training videos, a lot of coaching. It's literally like, okay, this is what I would do. All right. So, you know, the student would go or whoever it was would just go, okay, so what do you do here? And they would go, oh, I would, you know, I would see bet. I'd see bet third part. I would see bet, you know, whatever. And there's no why. There's no explanation. There's no like, well, where, you know, how do they use that information in the future? If you explain that, okay, this is a board that's a really high C-bet because of, you know, you have an equity advantage, a nut advantage, you're in position, their range has a lot of autofolds, you know, go into a lot, a lot of these reasons and people can start to, to understand why it's a good spot to, to range bet, for example. But I think that there's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, there's quite a lot that I see as like, okay, this is what I would do, no explanation and not very helpful for, for someone trying to learn. 
Absolutely not. And that's why when, when I do private coaching with my own students, I have them make play and explain videos that I watch and I make them verbalize their thought process at every single decision point because I want to know why. Like we can look at a hand history, we can look at your database, but you're going to manufacture a reason as to why you think you chose that action that happened two weeks ago, but it's not going to be very accurate. When you're verbalizing it in the moment, you're giving the why behind the decision. And sometimes you can make a perfectly great decision for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and it's yeah. absolutely worthy of diving in and examining the logic there and trying to find the upgrades, right? It's like, yeah, yeah it, the action that you take ultimately, you know, it isn't even the most important part of the puzzle. The most important part of the puzzle is your thought process, the logic, the why as to why you took that action. You can take wrong actions for all the right reasons as well, right? Like you can yeah. you can make a poor decision, but have a decent thought process and de use decent logic um, that needs to be rerouted. But just verbalizing and understanding like every action that you take, every action that your opponent takes at the poker table is going to mean something. There's some data there. It's a variable that you ought to be using in your thought process. And, you know, for folks that make a plain explained video on their own, but have problems verbalizing what they're doing, most likely you don't really know what you're doing. You're kind of just clicking buttons and making it up on the fly, right? And yeah. that's, that's a pretty clear sign that you're operating at a fairly low level. Um, as a poker player, there's a lot of room for improvement. But yeah, I, I'm yeah. with you. The why is ultimately, ultimately what matters more than anything. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it just, just as you were talking there, it made me think that there, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you, you, you could listen to a really good player talk about their game. And actually, they don't really know, they can't explain it, right? And I think sometimes um, I was reading a book, I think it's um, Thinking Fast and Slow, where it talks about, um, you know, sort of thoughts and feelings come from a different part of the brain than explanations so it talks about how it's not always easy to be able to explain why you love your wife right and i think that sometimes in poker that can be quite similar like you get some really good players some you know really high level players they just aren't able to articulate the thought process and i think that that's where like the skill of a coach really shines through and this is you know there's always been the debate like you know if you want coaching do you go to the best player or do you go to the best coach and I think that it's really important that you find someone that works right for you, um, that it's not just like, you know, you're trying to find the best player because they might not be the right fit for you. They might not be able to explain concepts in ways that you can understand. And um, yeah, they might just, you know, this is what they do and they want you to emulate that. But then you're not developing, not necessarily your own style, but your own thought process, your own ability to, to solve these problems. A lot of stuff is just really difficult to break down, like... Watch a Phil Galfon video sometime on Run It Once, and it's like 15 minutes on this one hand where it's just like he's covering every single base of every single action that he's going to take. And it's like, oh my God, like whenever you actually empty out your brain to all the thoughts that are worrying around in your mind while you're making decisions, it actually turns out to be a shitload of information that's just very hard to quantify. And some guys, I, I think, too, are just very good poker players who operate on more of the intuitive end of the spectrum where you mentioned emotions there and feelings and 
I believe that the field players are reading the emotions of their opponents and understanding that like an overbet jam here as a bluff feels bad. Like it doesn't feel like it's something somebody would do or find in the moment. It feels much better as value because, you know, the risk reward ratio or whatever the reasons might be. But like, that's another thing too, where we are all emotional creatures, human beings. We're all led by our emotions, especially when the pressure is on at the poker table and the folks who can tap into that and use those emotions as data points to choose their actions, they're going to be quite successful, right? Like there, there are people that despise solvers and make fun of them and yet operate on a really high level and make millions of dollars every single year. And they have been for the past 15 years. And in my opinion, it's because of their ability to tap into the emotions of their opponents and just create good counters based on the specific models and tendencies that their opponents are using. And like, that to me is ultimately one of the things that makes poker so fascinating is like there's multiple ways to spit to skin a cat there's multiple ways to win and um you know those guys you can't run a filter for felt bad in your holdup <laughs> manager right to <laughs> to make your decisions but like i i know that um for myself this this is a major it's a major thing that i use when i'm logicking my way through my thought process it's like oh, okay so dylan chose 1.5x here on the river like looking at the spectrum of bet sizes what bluffs would choose this is, is he more inclined to have bluffs is he more inclined to have value what does he think my hand is like if he really had value does would he go for 1.5x would that feel good for him because i have a cap range probably not um therefore he's likely to be trying to make me fold he's likely to have uh, quite a fair amount of bluffs in this situation, so I just call. But again, it, it, it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to prove. It's an impossible thing to prove, and yet I know that it is a factor just because of I've been playing this game for 16 years, and you know, like I said, humans are emotional creatures, and you can hear the emotion in the play and explain videos that my students send in. You can hear the frustration, you can hear the annoyance. But anyway, that's my. Uh, I know I just went off on a little tangent there, but but it's all interesting because there's just so many different ways to improve and play poker well. And as you said, you know, all the best athletes, everybody has a coach. Like Roger Federer has a tennis coach. His tennis coach is not better than him. Like spoiler no. alert, he he's not <laughs> right. But no. but they all have them anyway to hold themselves accountable to get insights that they may otherwise not have. And finding somebody that thinks about poker like you um, is first and foremost the, the most critical thing that you could ask for in a coach. Don't find a coach who approaches the game from a totally different way than you because you're just not going to get the value. No, absolutely. Yeah. So so exactly. If somebody came to me and, and said, uh, oh, so, uh, you know, this is how I make dis decisions and maybe in a similar way that you've just described. I don't think that I would do a good job with them because I'm more of the side of like the technical, like um, mathematical, like, okay, so if he's betting this, this big, this is how many bluffs to rate the value, um, a value to bluff ratio, whatever. And uh, yeah, I'm very much less, less on that emotional side, but I, you know, of course it's a, of course it's a thing. So, and like if, but if, you know, somebody couldn't, yeah, I wouldn't recommend someone coming to me for that kind of kind of training because or coaching because I'm not going to be able to 
to sort of move them in the right direction. Um, but if somebody already had this sort of, you know, someone who enjoyed the solvers and enjoyed working out the why and, um, you know, was then able to sort of recognize where players very often deviate from um, equilibrium or the, you know, approximation of equilibrium, then, 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 we're, yeah, now, now we're talking. But uh, you're absolutely right. Like, there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat, as it were. And I think it's, um, yeah, just, um, yeah, just important to find someone who's, who's on the same same page but i guess on this on the on the flip side is actually finding someone who's who's not in order to sort of like push you to think in another way but i think that trying to change the way you approach the game completely like from one end to the other is like really tough but getting you to think about you know think about the game differently is is yeah is really valuable really important too. yeah it, it can be it can also crack you like an egg <laughs> as it relates to your confidence at the poker table mm. uh, and i have first-hand experience with that, which is something that I haven't really talked about. But like three months back, I traded coaching sessions with somebody who's a, an extremely high-level technical player. Just a really brilliant player, um, works with solvers constantly, always running sims, has just huge theoretical knowledge of the game. And we did a coaching session. And in mine, like, we went through the whole process, we broke everything down, and then he added his thoughts, which were very theoretically specific, right? And I, yeah. I kind of realized like, whoa, this dude is operating like on a level of theory that is like way beyond me. And then I started questioning like, have I, like has the game passed me by? Like, are there the, are, should I be, should I have invested myself into this specific area of learning over the past like four or five years, like have I missed out? Is everything passing me again? Um, and what I what I came to realize is like his approach is just different than mine. And yeah. what's very fascinating to me is there are spots where you know he's inputting the information to the solver, trying to like figure out, trying to model somebody's actions so that he can figure out like what the best strategy is. Um, or he'll get stumped in a in a situation, and I'll look at the hand history and be able to just in five seconds say, "I think you should do X," and then we run the sim, and the solver says to do X exactly, which is like very interesting to me that I can come to the same conclusion as the solver despite not using that methodology as my mm. primary training training tool over time. And yeah, it's just a again, you know, don't don't feel like you have to learn poker in one way. If that way doesn't resonate with you, and if that way makes you feel uncomfortable and is not your strength, I think we all ought to lead into our strengths as human beings instead yeah. of kind of just, you know, having one methodology just kind of ram down our throat. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm always like keen to teach fundamentals through using, uh, using like, gto sort of in quotes as as a as a baseline uh and then you know working out exploits from that way but i can't see why you can't do it the other way it's just not the the approach that i've that i've used and so i can't you know i can't say no my way is the only way you know you should definitely be only you know following this this route um because there are so many successful players who have followed the opposite route so you know it's yeah uh, yeah so many ways what's interesting is like I, I've always been able to see the exploits. I've always been able to see the cracks in my opponent's models um, for their play and then exploit those cracks. And from the exploits, 
I've been able to build the theory around those because it's like, oh, if they're making a mistake here, the theory ought to be X, Y, or Z. Like I can make a logical extrapolation from the exploit to what the theory ought to look like, which, you know, I, I think is, is pretty interesting. But um, yeah, yeah. We, we've gone, I've taken us way off track here. Uh, <laughs> Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the master of presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. Let's go back. To Gareth in college, um, or actually not in college, you're teaching, you're juggling your career as well, you know, your music career as well as your poker career. What was the tipping point to when you said, I'm just going to go all in on poker? Uh, well, I can remember the, the, the key moment. I just busted a tournament at the Rio and I went back to my hotel and just lay on the bed and it was... Um, we, it's called half term. It's like um, spring break, I guess, uh, in the States. So I, that's why I was in Vegas in the middle of a, a school year. And I was lying on the bed and I was like, despite busting a tournament, I still wanted this to be what I did. Right. And so I, in my head, I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to resign. I'm going to leave teaching. And, you know, I'd, I'd built up the coaching business to be at a point where it could um, support me as long, you know, together with the uh, playing poker. And I was like, right, well, that's it. So I flew home the next day and um, I wrote my letter of resignation and, and, and took it in and, uh, and then, yeah, worked out the last half term, like six or seven weeks. And then that was it. That's, uh, that was me making, making the switch. Um, but it had always been on my mind because I was, you know, I'd, I'd been putting things in place ready to go. Do you know what? I'd, teaching, teaching, that's it. I'm done. Like six years. Yeah, as I think I said uh, earlier on in the show, like it suddenly became not about music and not about um, enriching the lives of young people and making them 
you know, all around better humans, it became about data and it became about, um, you know, making them a, you know, trying to get them a piece of paper or a grade at the end of the year so that the school would look good and would attract more students. So, yeah, and I realized that, you know, I love teaching and I love helping people and I love poker. So I was like, right, well, that's what I want to do. And um, yeah, sadly, the music, the passion for music kind of died away a little bit. Uh, it's still there a bit, but, I, you know, I don't play enough. I don't play as much piano or the guitar or anything like that. Um, I, yeah, I wish I did because I, I, I enjoy it, but I'm just, uh, you know, pretty busy with with poker stuff right now. So, yeah, I made the, made the, made the switch and then, uh, yeah, didn't look back, I guess. Yeah, so laying on bed at the Rio after busting a tournament, you're yeah. like, I just want to play more poker. <laughs> I do not want to go back to school and, uh, and teach people music anymore. Um, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> and then never looking back. What year was that? Oh, good question. Uh, 2014. 2014. So is that right? Yeah, it was 2014. Yeah. So what happened next after you made that decision to play poker and coach poker? So that kind of just, I just, that's exactly what I did for, for quite a while and just, um, you know, played and coached and, um, I was making training videos for, uh, a site called grinder school, uh, at the time. And then I got approached to make videos for red chip poker. And so I was making videos for both of those. Then grinder school decided, um, so they were aimed at like micro stakes and low stakes grinders. That's why it was called grinder school for anyone who's not familiar with it and might think it's, uh, uh, to do with the uh, the an app, um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm making videos for those for them, and then I was getting coaching clients through that, and then um, I did the same thing with with Red Chip Poker and made videos for them, and um, yeah, I guess through Red Chip Poker is where I uh, sort of met Christian Soto, who uh, I don't know if he still is, but I'm at the time he was uh, part owner of of Red Chip, and we got uh, chatting, and we we would chat. Uh, tournament poker a lot like he was playing a lot more cash games but we wanted to play more tournaments so we were we would regularly chat about tournaments and then um and then he approached me in 2000 that was 2016 and said um oh we're looking for for somebody to um to help Berkey for the super high roller ball um in terms of icm and and stuff like that like you know <laughs> firstly he goes do you, do you know anyone? <laughs> I was like, um, oh, no, I don't, I'm not sure. Like, I'm thinking like, do I feel comfortable enough? Do, should I put myself forward for this? You know, this is the $300,000 buy-in uh, tournament that Berkey's preparing for. And they've put together a great team and they want someone to do ICM. And I'm thinking, mm, not really. And then Soto just said, what about you? Do you, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so um, did a few sessions with Berkey leading up to that. And why, why weren't you, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say, <laughs> raise your hand? Me, I can do this. This is, this is what I do. Yeah. I honestly, like I felt like I was a little bit out of my depth and a bit like imposter syndrome. Like, hang on a minute. This is super high roller bowl. This isn't, you know, this isn't somebody playing like the big 22 on poker stars. Uh, this is a, this is a big step up. And I was at, you know, I was, at that point, I think I realized that my knowledge of ICM, knowledge of, of tournament poker, was actually good enough to help somebody in the, one of the biggest buy-ins of the year. But before then, I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like, you know, what, what's going on? But, you know, it was, it 
seemingly went well. I mean, you know, we don't want to be results orientated and, you know, Berkey finished fifth for 1.1 million, but that's, you know, it's not because of me, <laughs> like, you know, maybe I helped it a little bit, but the, the key thing was about the process and about me, you know, yeah, we did some, we did uh, some Skype calls before then, it's long before Zoom was a big thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, uh, then I did a, a session with him and Jordan, Jordan Young and um, uh, Christian at, at uh, Berkey's home in, in Vegas. We went through some stuff on the morning of the final table. Uh, and that, that was actually filmed for the documentary on Poker Go uh, called Dead Money. And so, yeah, if you haven't seen it, haven't seen it, like there's, uh, I'm in episode either six or seven, I think, uh, just uh, going through, through some things. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite funny to, to watch back. That's awesome. And I, I think it speaks a lot to your character that when asked that by Christian, your first thought was, who do I know that might be better suited for this, for Berkey, right? I, I think yeah. that, that that says a lot about you, that you didn't just say, oh, it's me. I, I, I know it, right? It's like, oh, let me think first about yeah. if I know anybody who is operating at a higher level that could be of more value or more assistance. I, I think that's a, you know, it's a really good character trait. It's a really good sign. So you help Berkey with the ICM. Um, you gained confidence 2016. When did you meet Trisha Cardner and, you know, start effectively being partners uh, with her on a number of ventures? So that was in 2015. Uh, there was a red chip, a red chip meetup at the Rio um, in Buzio's, which is no longer there, sadly, a seafood restaurant. And um, we, yeah, met there. Uh, we, we'd been conversing a bit on Twitter because I approached her about um, some uh, some mindset leaks that I thought I had, and I wanted to to, to touch base with her about that. Um, so we, you know, first started talking then. And what were the leaks? What were the leaks? Yeah, um, yeah, just dealing with downswings and um, you know losing confidence in my game, uh, focusing too much on results rather than process. You know that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. That, that old chestnut. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. The, 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 I feel like it's the most one of the most obvious obvious ones um, that you know as a tournament player, but you know probably cash games as well, cash game player as well. You're going to have to deal with like tournaments can be brutal, and and you have to be prepared for for, for downswings and for um, you know, results to not reflect effort and, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's why I reached out to her originally. And then we met at the restaurant and, um, for this, for this meetup and got chatting then. And I think we must've stayed in touch. I can't honestly remember the time when we decided that we suddenly we were going to start a podcast. Um, but suddenly then we had a podcast and we're, you know, we're onto episode, I can't remember exactly 94, 95, something like that now. So we're fast approaching episode hundred, which is, which is great. And yeah, so we, we, yeah, we started this podcast and I, I really like the idea because my sort of feelings about poker is it's really important to get the sort of the technical strategy side down, but also to work on mindset. So I think that together we can, you know, produce some, some really good, uh, content, uh, especially for for the podcast, and then uh, then we had this crazy idea in 2018 to uh, to write a book. We didn't feel that there was enough material on this sort of like the idea of of learning and how to how to get better at actually learning poker. There's lots of stuff on the strategy. You know, you find books on on the strategy of you know, poker, tournament poker, cash games, all the different variants. There wasn't anything on like how do you take all of the content that's available because there's so much now. Twitch. Um, all the training sites, you've got YouTube videos, you've got articles, you've got podcasts, you've got you know books still coming out. 
Um, so how do you take all of that content and um, actually use it to to help your own game and to to help you know, get better at the game? And doesn't sound like a crazy idea to me. It sounds like a pretty rational, pretty rational <laughs> uh, idea for for a book. What did that yeah. process look like? Y'all writing that book? So it took. It was it was fine because we we did a lot of brainstorming. Like used, we had meet, regular meetings and we put together lots of ideas and we share things together. And in my background, as I said, I I trained to be a teacher, which which meant I had a, a post grad in uh, education, right? So I. I understood how people learn. And obviously it was more about how children learn, you know, 11 to 18. That was my focus for poker players. School, high they're basically children anyway. So <laughs> that, it, it's directly translatable. Yeah. So, yeah. So there, you know, there's a lot of, lot of things that I thought I could bring to the table. And obviously um, Trisha has worked within education as well as a, um, you know, she has a couple of PhDs and she was a lecturer, I believe. Um, I can't remember where that was. Um, but we, so we both got experience of, of, of teaching and education, understanding how people learn. So yeah, we'd always, we share these ideas. And then I think it got to like December of 2018 and we, we had to get the book in 2019, like the end of January and not enough of it had been written. Um, (laughs) so basically I took the whole month off January, um, to, to write, um, yeah, to write and, so we we would have like different sections that we would be working on, but but then like share them and, and add to them and take stuff out and and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean it was a, yeah it was a, it was a great process. It was something that I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to write a book. When I was younger, I I, I didn't think I'm going to write a poker book. I thought I would write I don't know a novel or something. Um, so I didn't I didn't think it was going to be a poker book. Um, but yeah, the, the the process was was really great and just you know just. Just something completely different from what I was doing as well. Like a lot of my content is, you know, audio or video, and and so to actually do some some written stuff, it was for me was really important. But I, I guess like it, and I feel like you might go on to this question in a minute where you say, but right at the start you said that books probably weren't the best way to learn. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm. uh, so I think that the key thing we talk about in the book is about active learning. You know, active versus passive learning. And I think that if you're um, sort of actioning the suggestions in the book and therefore being an active learner and taking an active uh, taking active responsibility for your own learning then i think that's 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 good and that but if you just literally like just read 10 pages at night and then put it down like you're probably not going to get that much out of it yeah i mean retention levels are not very high um as it relates to the books that we read when you take action, when you live the principles that you learn in the book, that's when they resonate. That's when an impact is made. And there's nothing that drives uh, drives somebody to action like the imminent deadline, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> I've got one month. We, we've got one more month to get this thing done, and we're not close, so let's go, right? Yeah. And that's just a kind of a law of the world is like, when you don't have a deadline, you just take forever. Um, so for the listener out there, give yourself deadlines as it relates to learning in your poker career and growing as a player. Like Give yourself deadlines to reach the points that you want to reach so that you're striving for something on a daily basis. It's tangible. You know what you're, what you're working towards, and you're just taking regular actions. And uh, yeah, so that the name of y'all's book purposeful practice for poker 
all the P's. Could you just for a moment tell the listener why they ought to check out yours and Trisha's book? Yeah, so I think like again, it goes back to what we're talking about. Like how with all the training content that's available, how do you manage it and how do you organize your own learning time in order to sort of maximize efficiency, make sure you're getting like the most out of it. And uh, so, yeah, so the, the book is just um, the book will help you sort of develop the, the mechanisms or the, the techniques and the habits and routines to actually um, develop your own game. Um, so, you know, um, the whole idea about purposeful practice is that you're focusing, you're focused and specific on what you're actually trying to learn, not trying to like learn too much. I feel like students will often try to learn everything and then get completely overwhelmed and realize how big the game is and how complex it can be. And suddenly then just lose motivation. And I think that if you're focusing on, you know, to begin with, focusing on things that happen time and time again, like, for example, like race first in, big blind defense, seabedding in position, seabedding out of position, facing a seabed after defending the big blind, you know, those kind of things that happen time and time again. But literally not just going, okay, taking those five topics and going, right, let's learn all five topics, but actually just breaking it down and going, okay, what's the one thing that happens more than anything in poker we have the opportunity to raise first in and in tournaments biggest leak that i see is uh for for players looking for coaching is that they don't open enough hands or they're opening the wrong sorts of hands from different positions so starting off with that is actually really really important because it happens time and time again and it you know if you get it right it means you're getting to the flop with the right ranges if you get it wrong you're not and then all of the stuff that we do post flop and looking at how ranges interact well it's all wrong because you're not opening the right kind of hands so you know like it might sound basic to some to like look at raise first in as being the most important thing to to get right first, but it's like a, it's a fundamental. It's a fundamental um, to to whether you're playing tournaments or cash or any other variants um, where you have to raise first in. And I think, uh, yeah. So I think that being focused and specific on on one topic is really important. So the book's going to help you, um, you know, keep it focused and specific. Help you to write really good goals. And, um, yeah, and then give you the sort of the process of like putting together a learning project and, uh, and working your way through it and then making sure that you're, you know, you're measuring your progress as you go. And I think that in tournaments, and I don't know enough about cash games to be able to say this, but certainly in tournaments, it can be really hard to know if you're actually making progress because you can like be seemingly feel like you're getting better. Your, um, statistics, like your, your numbers are looking closer to where they should be, for example, but in terms of profit, you're still down, right? Or you're still you're not losing, you're not winning as much as you want. And yet, the only sort of the the uh, tangible measurement that you can see is money and the, your bankroll or whatever, how much money you're making. And I think it can be really, really hard for people to sort of get their head around that. And that's why, like, so many people. Um, I want to like you know highlight someone like Jason Kuhn, for example. I'm sure he's posted before on on Twitter about the process. Is so much more important than than the goal, because once you reach the goal, you might not be that excited about the goal anymore. But if you're excited about the process for getting there, then that's that's the most important thing. So I think you know, the book is going to get you to focus on the things that you can control, the things that you can influence, and and sort of you know make sure that you're you know there's no excuses, right? You're you're doing everything you can do. You, in the end of the day, like in the long term, if you do all these things, you get better at the game, you will have the results. But in the short term, you might not get the results, but you've got to like trust in the process and, and you know, invest in that sort of the routines and habits uh, to get better. Yeah, trust is the key word. Trust that the way that you are doing things is going to yield financial returns 
at the end of your poker journey. And that's an easy thing to lose sight of. It's super easy to lose sight of it in cash games as well. When somebody has, you know, a a nice run, they win 15 buy-ins. And then over the next few months playing on a limited schedule, they lose back those 15 buy-ins, right? It's like, oh, I had it all figured out and then I lost it. And now I don't know anything about anything and I'm just questioning (laughs) life and my existence on the planet, right? When you're in this sort of like cyclical up 10 buy-ins, down 10 buy-ins, up 15, down 15, um, this long break-even stretch, it's really hard for people to have confidence in themselves that they are doing the right thing, that they are making good decisions. Because, you know, the reality is, like you said, the results don't reflect our decisions um, over the short term every single time. And because of that, uh, when you lose confidence, you start throwing things out that you had been implementing that are profitable decisions because you, you don't know anymore. And basically, you just keep burning down everything that you think you know and starting over from scratch over and over and over again because you don't have much you don't have any confidence in the process. So it's vitally important to have a good model and be very confident in your model for playing winning poker and just execute every day. Just execute, execute, execute. And ultimately the side effect is that you win money like that you are a profitable poker player but you know going back to what we talked about before the emotions of poker emotions are motherfuckers <laughs> like they're <laughs> going to lie to us right they're going to they're going to take yeah. us to to places that are untrue and that we will believe with all of our hearts are true and it's really hard it's really hard navigating um poker especially when you're you know you're emotionally biased and you lack confidence in your ability so yeah it's a poker is a tough game it's a a game that will torture anybody who aspires to play it at a high level at some period of time and yeah again going back to coaches right like this is another major benefit of having a coach who when you're in the midst of these downswings that can reassure you and say, Hey, you're actually making good decisions. I don't see anything bad here. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Um, even that is ultra valuable as it relates to the poker journey. Absolutely. Yeah. There are a couple of things I wanted to talk about. So there was like, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen to someone straight away is for them to have a bink or to you run like God in a cash cash game. Uh, because they get this sort of f- false confidence and then it all goes downhill and they then they just, you know, oh, I must be, uh, you know, I knew I was doing something right because I wouldn't have won this tournament if I wasn't doing something right. So I'm going to carry on doing that. And then they just lose it all back. And and yet the flip side, you know, the worst thing is also like well, one of the like the second worst thing is that you don't have a bink at the start and you don't think that you enjoy this game because you're not getting any benefit from it. So you never actually get to realize that if you want to, you know, take it further you have to have to work hard and and be consistent and like you said like execute every day and trust in the process so uh, i think that's uh that's an important important thing um i think that yeah one of the biggest bugbears for me when i see people um you know training sites or whatever coaches advertising you know their their products and they'll you know or somebody will will tweet a message and it will say i got this course yesterday and today i shipped this tournament 
and then it's retweeted by the training site because it's great. Like it's fantastic they shipped the tournament, but there's no way they consumed enough in that one day to to influence the fact that they then won won the tournament. It's like this. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I can't even. I don't even know what the word is to to describe that. But it's disingenuous, probably. <laughs> I can tell you how I think about it. I think about it like it's great for the poker training site, right? They get yeah. all the glory. And then when somebody doesn't get the results, the person just assumes that they, they're implementing the strategies incorrectly. So yeah. they, they take the fall on their own. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll retweet somebody getting good results based on my products as well, just because you know it's social proof, right? Like it's, it's good, yeah. good for business. But ultimately, the training sites are probably going to get way more credit than, than they deserve for especially like a week long uh member yeah experiences of being like come on like they just yeah. that <laughs> but i guess you you have enough members you have enough subscribers some of them are going to hit tournaments it's it's inevitable yeah exactly yeah you got it look i totally get it you feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential so i'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had how much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself coach thomas and occasionally past guests of the chasing poker greatness podcast for now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Gareth, we're going to move on to a little bit of lightning round questions here. Okay. And you don't have to be rushed in your answers. It's not, not super quick lightning round activity. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Uh, <laughs> probably I took down a $2 turbo tournament right at the start. You know, we talked about – I just met – even though I just talked about this, having a bink at the start of your career. And this $2 tournament, I turned it into $2,000. And I can remember the, the the pivotal hand. I got ace-queen in against ace-king on the final table with about, I don't know, I think there's six or seven left. Bot comes ace-king X. And I was like, oh, well, that's it then. All right, I'm going to bust in seventh for, I don't know, $200 or something. Okay, great. Um, and then turn queen, river queen. And I was just like, whoa <laughs> like <laughs> what's just happened and then yeah went on to to win it and at that stage you know playing two dollar tournaments winning a winning two thousand dollars was uh yeah kind of a big deal and that's sort of what kick-started me into into wanting to to play poker so that's the sort of like earliest like memory with within within poker uh so i think it's interesting based on what i just said about you know if i didn't have the bink i probably it's probably the worst thing that could have happened but i think i was humble enough to know that I got super lucky on that final table and then there was still plenty to to work on. I mean, I was playing two lot of tournaments, so I'm not going to pretend I was, you know, elite at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, so I was writing my newsletter before we hopped on this call that I will be sending out later today. And I was thinking of a metaphor um, for binking early in your poker career, right? 
And I thought of, do you remember the TV show MXC, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge? It was this. No, I've not seen it. It was a Japanese TV show in like the 80s okay. and then it was dubbed over in English and released between like in the mid early 2000s. Right. And basically players would go through all these crazy obstacles. The commentators would make fun of them. It was like an earlier iteration of Wipeout. And they played one game that they called Wall Bangers. And the contestant would rev up, run as fast as they could at this wall that had like a, an option of three doors. And one of the doors would be like paper mache, right? They would just burst through. And the other would be like solid yeah. doors. So they would just splat on the doors. And they had to go through like a sequence of four of them. And early on in your poker career, right? Like when you bink, you're running through those doors blindly and randomly choosing the right one. And then you win the game and you're like, I'm a genius. I made all the right decisions, right? Like, and that's just not how the world works. And in that specific game, one of the advantages of going like later on in the show is you watch the contestants. So you get to see like all of their failures so that you can make better decisions. And to me, that's, that's a lot like what poker is. You, when you study, when you learn models that are proven to work, you're not guessing at which door is going to be the right door. You know the right door. You're going through the process. You're choosing the right doors over and over and over and over again. And when you do that, you win money. Like that's just that's the side effect of you know learning from all these other people who are just splatting their bodies um, across these locked doors. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, uh, we'll move on now. But that was just on my mind where, yeah, just because you you guess a bunch of random lucky answers doesn't mean that you necessarily were operating at a high level. Um, The opposite question, when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? (laughs) First memory? Uh, So I didn't really experience any kind of pain until the last World Series when I played 19 events and bricked them all. And I had the most humbling experience, I guess. Like the previous year, I'd, I'd come second in a six-max tournament. And I came, I came into the next year and I was like, okay, I've got this live poker down. Like, you know, I'd, I've mainly been an online player. Like 99% of my poker has been online. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to Vegas every summer. I'm going to make lots of money. And so I went in and I, you know, played these 19 events and I, I bricked them all. And like, I got to the 19th. Well, I mean, it was well before then, but I you know, got to the end of it and I was like, wow, what, like, this is like 19 games. I could play 19 games like tonight and, and brick them all like online. Like it wouldn't be an issue, but spread out of the, spread out over like three weeks that I was in Vegas. I was like, whoa, okay. So this, this, this can happen. Okay. And yeah, so that was, that was probably the, uh, the, the first memory of, of pain. Like I hadn't, or at least it was the one that sticks in my mind the most. Like I can't think of anything that's, that's more that was more painful than that. But actually like it was, you know, looking back on it now, it was like, it was a good, it was a good experience because it showed me that, you know, if, you know, it's possible to, to brick 19 events in a, in a row over, <laughs> over, over three weeks. And you know, that might not even be the worst run I ever go on. Yeah. It's better to know that these things are theoretically possible though, without ever experiencing them in my opinion. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's a common poker advice you hear that you disagree with? Well, I'm not sure I have an answer. I think um, 
probably the idea that you've either got to be GTO or exploit, like, is is one. Like, you know, I think, yeah, okay. So the one bit of advice I would say is that um, people who believe that exploit is the, you know, that's the way to make the most money. Now, of course it is, right? You're going to learn, like, you know, you could learn poker. And in order to make the most money, you need to be sort of, making the most of other people's mistakes and that's going to come by through exploiting them. But I think that the this idea that you should just only focus on that rather than, you know, giving time for theory, giving time to like listen to to what the solver might say and you know, let's say you do like you mentioned earlier like getting to the same point, getting to the same decision to the answer is this, you know, there's two there's more than one way to get to the to the right answer. But I think that it's important to to understand the the theory. Um, so I think that, you know, both are really, really important. Um, but I think to, to dismiss one might, might be sort of quite limiting. And I think if, you know, that would be, that would be it, but I'm struggling really to come up with a, something that I really disagree with. To me, like there are two sides of the same coin. Like yeah. they're, they're directly related. Like exploiting is just node locking somebody's inefficient model and taking advantage of it. Right. And yeah. if you were to, node lock a situation that you know your villain is constructing their strategy improperly, the GTO solution would be to take advantage of that and exploit that, right? Like the, you know, when you put the scenario into Pio, Pio assumes that, you know, one superhuman person is playing against another superhuman person. And like, this is the model that you ought to follow. And the reality is like humans operate way differently than the Pio model. And so like you have to understand the theory in order to make the exploit because they're directly connected. If you don't understand the theory behind the exploit, then you're not even accurately making an exploit. You can call it an an exploit, but you can't prove it and you don't really know. Um, So yeah, to me, they're, they're just two sides of the same coin and you have to like, you can't, you can't know what exploits are without knowing theory and you can't know, you know, theory without understanding exploits like they're just interrelated to each other absolutely yeah 100 percent agree if you could gift all poker players one book to read what would it be and why and it, I, I know this is a low-hanging fruit for you well i mean i've got to say my own book because it makes everything else easier to to consume so definitely purposeful practice for poker Okay, secondarily, if you if you have like a stocking <laughs> stuffer book for poker players, which it doesn't have to necessarily be about poker. Probably something like Atomic Habits. Uh James Clear is that? I think yep, he's the author. James Clear. Yeah, I think that was uh, that's a very very good book and I think yeah, every poker player should should read that. Nice. Haven't heard that one suggested yet. Atomic Habits by James Clear. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? I guess like this this idea of like you know matchups and like heads up for rolls and like this whole sort of you know like the dog polk versus negranu thing like feud calling it a feud doesn't really for me attract like yeah we want to attract more people to the game and some people are going to be like attracted by oh this is feud between two people but actually we're trying like in my eyes like we don't want to make it negative like that that for me is too negative. So I think it's like somehow like, yeah, wave the magic wand and get rid of the negativity and uh, somehow make it, make it more positive. Like you can have competition without having like this sort of idea of a, of a feud and like, 
yeah, I, I don't think it's been a fantastic um, spotlight or you know, example well, of, of poker, really. There, there are many reasons as to why or how it could have gone down better. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree, disagree with the uh, you know promotional aspect of like the trash talk and you know MMA type of build up to to the match itself. I think that there's just been some kind of silly, silly things that have come out as a result of of the challenge. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, even when there's this promotional buildup between fighters, like they shake hands, they hug after they've gone through this war. And yeah, it's like they're professionals, right? I think ultimately we want our sport, we want our game to be represented by folks who carry themselves well and who yeah. are professionals and act professionally. And ultimately, ultimately, I don't think that that's exactly how things have went down with this specific matchup. But on the mm-hmm. flip side, you know, the Galfon versus VDVD, I think both of them were the utmost professional yeah. and handled that with just amazing professionalism. And it was a great spectacle, uh, a very entertaining and competitive matchup. So, yeah, I think that like, we should promote the things and heads up challenges. Like I'm all for it, go for it. Um, but again, like represent poker, be a pro. That's just something yeah. that it matters to me personally. Yeah. I mean, rivalry creates a storyline, right? And you get it in sport, you know? Um, so you have like Ronaldo versus Messi. Uh, you get this rivalry of like just local teams, you know, uh, derbies. And that's, you know, it's, it's that, creates interest and, and excitement but i think like even with even with like local football derbies like i'm an arsenal fan they're based in north london so are tottenham hotspur and arsenal fans hate tottenham hotspur fans and actually that idea of like hate like is hate's a horrible word like it's a it's a big word and you don't really hate tottenham fans like i you know i joke around i've got i've got spurs or tottenham uh fans as friends we joke around like the whole arsenal versus tottenham thing but it's like I don't actually hate them. Like that's a, so so big, and I think that you know, there's like they, they call it like bitter rivalry. Like there's a bitter rivalry now between Negreanu and Polk, and like I think that you know rivalry is good, competition's good, but like when it becomes bitter and negative and a feud, like I, I'm just not sure that it's shining a great light on the on on the game that we love. Well, polarization draws in people. And that's true. Those guys that's are true. definitely yeah. both very polarizing. Yeah. What's your current big goal as it relates to poker? Um, I would say that's more more around like helping more people. Um, so helping people achieve what they want to achieve. And I think that it's not necessarily like, you know, people come with goals to to be well, you know, a world champion, for example. It's not necessarily a good goal. Um, but just helping more people within poker achieve their dreams whatever they are right maybe it's just that they want to have a part-time income maybe they want to go uh from you know uh leave their job and 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 take up poker full-time maybe they want to get to the next level like whatever that is like just helping more people to to achieve that yeah and sometimes it's helping people to construct their goals or their vision for what they're after as it relates to poker because like you said um about jason kuna earlier right like we have to love the process um so that when we reach a goal, we can have our next goal ready to tackle and, and take down. So it's like 
we need to set goals. We need to have a vision and a path for where we want to be else it's going to take much longer for you to get there. And ultimately too, you could be searching for something that doesn't really fulfill you when you reach it. And that is more criminal than almost anything else as it relates to to goals, in my opinion, is accomplishing a goal that doesn't do anything for you is like pretty brutal. It's like you spend your time, your life force, your energy trying to do this thing, then you do it. And it's just pure emptiness um, at the end of the day. And want to try to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, I think there's, I, I, th- I feel like some people set goals based on what they think will be the most impressive to other people, rather than actually what is, what do you want? What do you really want to achieve? Like, what's your vision? I'm reading a book at the moment called The 12 Week Year. And the top of it talks about what's the overall vision? What do you actually want? And then taking a step back and working it out and working it through and then, right, okay, so you, you, know, you do your 15-year, 10-year, 5-year, 3-year, 1-year. Okay, well, then what's the step for the next 12 weeks that's going to get you to where you want to be you know, the quickest? But yeah, it all starts with having that, that big vision. And I think that, you know, I, I, I sometimes think about my own sort of career path that, you know, I went the traditional route, did school, I went, did uni, I trained to be a teacher. I was a teacher, I had a full-time job with a pension and I decided that's not what I wanted. Like, that's not, I didn't want that traditional route. I wanted to be working for myself. I wanted to, to build a training site, a training program and be a coach and be a poker player and, you know, work when I wanted to work and have that freedom. And that, that's, I mean, that's how I really feel now about my own coaching in terms of helping people get to that, like helping people achieve their dreams, whether it is, you know, time, freedom, whatever, um, getting, to, getting to that point. But it has to be, has to be like right for you. And I think that, you know, certainly with the people that I work with, one of the biggest obstacles for them when they decide they're like, okay, I want to take poker more seriously is like the, their relationship, whether it's with their, you know, their wife, their partner, their, their, their parents, like trying to explain to their parents, oh, by the way, I'm going to leave this really well-paying job. I mean, you know, I did the same. I'm going to leave this really well-paying job and, and, and I'm going to play poker full-time. I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to build my own business and I'm going to learn about business and marketing and all of that kind of thing so i'm actually going to learn like on the job about doing all these you know about how what it takes to to run a successful online business um and i think that can be hard like for for some people to take that and it's, i mean if you've got a you know you've got a family as well to support and you've got a mortgage to pay like that can be that can be tough but i think that if your vision is this is what you want and you know exactly what it is then you can then put the goals in place to you know, to, to achieve that. And you, you know, you, you buy into it, you're emotionally connected to it rather than like, you know, Oh, I think that would be a nice thing to do. Oh, I'd, I'd love to play super high rollers or whatever. Like, you know, maybe one day I, you know, maybe in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, it would be nice to play super high rollers, but it, it's not something that m- matches with my vision right now. Like I'm, I doesn't like, I'm not like super excited. I'm not the, the thought of like, you know, paying $300,000 to play a poker tournament. It's not something that I necessarily want to do at the moment. Like, you know, I'm not saying that in the future that it might be something to, to, to look at, but yeah, it's, you know, visions will change over time. But I think that if you've got a clear vision, it really helps to sort of nail down what it is you actually, what you actually want. And then you can then set goals to, to achieve that. Yeah. I, I wanted to have an amazing podcast and be able to generate revenue using the podcast. And I realized because I 
was very ignorant as it relates to digital marketing, <laughs> digital promotion, <laughs> digital sales and business. It was like, holy shit, the amount of things that I need to learn to make my vision reality was just overwhelming in this space, right? It's like, I've got to learn how to write sales copy. I've got to learn how to promote myself. I've, I, I can't, you know, I have a guest on this show for a very good reason. I don't really love being the center of attention, right? It's not just me monologuing and that's just how I'm wired. So, you know, being a promoter, selling things when your dream is to have an impact in people's book or career, you just have to man up and learn those skills because there's no other option, right? Um, and it's not always comfortable. But at the end of the day, when I know in my heart how much I love doing this show, how much I love my guests and how much I come away from each conversation just feeling pumped up and full of energy – I want that to keep going. And so on those days when it's like, okay, got to bear down and crank out this sales page. And it's very hard and very difficult and not something that just comes to me naturally. Like knowing that I'm doing it so that I can keep doing this show indefinitely powers me through. It's yeah. just, that's, that's the power of, you know, of a, a why that resonates with you so that you have the energy to do the bullshit that you're otherwise not going to feel like doing. Absolutely. Yeah. It comes back to that, that why. Yeah. So when you're, you know, learning about poker, like understanding the why is important, but also the why, like, why do you play poker? Why do you, why do you want to have a successful poker podcast? Why do, why do I want to develop my coaching business to impact more people? Right. So having, you know, starting with why is is really really important and having that purpose i think is you know and it comes again it's that vision vision why purpose those keywords really important yeah. and nothing comes easy everything is much harder than we think it will be at the end of the day so you need to have a powerful why that pushes you through when things look very bleak and overwhelming um yeah gareth just uh, two more questions and okay. we'll get you out of here sir First of all, do you have any projects you're working on right now that are near and dear to your heart? Well, I would say that every every project I'm working on at the moment, so from the you know, the course that I'm that I'm putting putting together, um, the group coaching that I do, and the podcast that I do with Trisha, like they're all they're all projects that 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 mean a lot to me, and and you know I put a lot of a lot of effort in, and it, you know going back to what I said right at the start, when I first saw my uh, roommate like playing poker and thinking, wow, this looks like a quick way to make a, you know, you know, lots of money. Um, and you just said there, like, it's about like, actually it's a really hard work. Like whether you're playing poker or coaching poker, you're developing a business, building a business, like it is really, really hard work. So it's definitely not like it wasn't a quick buck, you know? Um, so yeah, they're all like, you know, really passionate for different reasons. Like podcasts, like I just really enjoy, you know, talking to Trisha about poker and mindset and, you know, various questions that we get we get sent in and we have different different viewpoints and obviously hers is more like a you know um sort of a research and scientific background and and mine sort of like you know actually inside the game and this is how I feel about it and and you know maybe I'm maybe I'm getting some things wrong and that's that's okay um but yeah so there's yeah those 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 three things I think are the the, the key things that I'm working on my, my group coaching program it's called MTT Game Changer and it was set up for to to just really help accelerate people's learning. So it's a nice, really nice community of people wanting to improve their game. And e each month we look at a different topic or concept 
And it's sort of the idea, you know, the idea of the book, right? It's purposeful practice for poker. So I've taken that idea and put it into, okay, this month, this is what we're focusing on. So for example, um, this month, we've just finished uh, Blind versus Blind preflop. And so we would just look at Blind versus Blind. We look at what the sort of the preflop solutions look like, where you want to be, you know, attacking limp, small blind limps more, maybe where you want to adjust for people who aren't going to attack small blind limps. So looking at like the the sort of the theory of the solutions, then looking at the exploits, and then we go in uh, each month, we'll have a look at like member hand histories and, and see how they're approaching the spots and, and what we can learn from it and how you would actually take the knowledge from the group coaching sessions, the webinars, and actually apply them to your own game. And then each month, these get packaged up and added to my online course. So, you know, it started off like, you know, I think it was October 2019, we started off doing like the first module, which was raised first in. And then the second module was big blind defense and then got a few modules together. And I thought, okay, let's put, let's package these up and, and put them out as a, as an online course. Um, and then we're, I think we're on to module, module 12. No, actually, I think it's 14. We've got 14 modules now, right? So ever since then, every single month I'd put out a different module and, and then it would become part of the, part of the online course. So yeah, I think it's, um, those are the, things that I'm very passionate about, very close to my heart. Um, but in terms of like, I almost feel like close to my heart makes me feel like I should be like, you know, doing some community work or charity work or something like that. But I'm like that kind of project. <laughs> when, when you're, when, when what you do to help people out it, it, and pays your way through life is the thing yeah. that's close to your heart. I mean, does life get much better than that? Like that's, that's true. Yeah. That seems no, to me like a pretty good, not. damn good way to live life. No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I need to look at it more like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Final question. So where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find your course and you on the World Wide Web? So the first stop should be MTT Poker School. So MTT as in multi-table tournament, uh, pokerschool.com, mttpokerschool.com. And then uh, I'm on various social medias. So on Instagram, I'll be Gareth James Poker. Twitter is uh, at Gazellig Poker. And um, yeah, everything that you need, though, basically is on MTT Poker School. So all the links to the MTT Poker School, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, YouTube channel, stuff like that. It's all on that main website, mttpokerschool.com. Perfect. So head to mttpokerschool.com. You can click through in the show page of this episode. Gareth, it's been great having you on. Please return sometime in the near future for round two. And thank you just very much for your, your time and your energy. Well, likewise, it's been, uh, it's been great. And I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely come back for, uh, for another talk. Take care, man. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.